is really a treat to be with you, uh, thinking about launching this new series, Greatness. Just a little insight in how, how my mind works. Uh, Alan and I, we think about our sermon series for the whole year. We just pray, we ask, we dream, we jot notes throughout the previous year, and, and we kind of look at, at what God might want to do over the course of the next 12 months. And sometimes I think about, like, starting off great in 2001-8, you know, or, and that's just not really good. <laughs> it's just not good. And yet there was this theme for us in thinking about the start of this year, that our lives might move towards the greatness of God in new ways, that we might discover some new realities in how we think and how we live and how we relate that reflect the greatness of God, that reflect the glory and the majesty and the wonder, and that our lives would move towards greatness, towards greatness. And today, I just get the privilege of just kind of setting the stage for what the next few weeks hold for us. Uh, and, and I don't know you, but, but as, I, as I think about saying Happy New Year and Happy 2018, we made it. We're here. Yeah, there's, there's, some real, there's some real real reason for celebration. Some of you might have made it into 2018, and you are just so glad that 17 is gone, never to be experienced again. And there's this interesting thing that happens as we start a new year. There's this new hope, this new possibility that just kind of is naturally present. And there's this thing that happens usually at this time of year called New Year's resolutions. Just curious, anybody participate in New Year's resolutions? It's a good way to get maybe a few weeks of good stuff happening, right? And maybe for you, it's, it's this time that you reflect. You, you're not so much about resolutions, but you kind of make some reflections on what last year was, maybe where God was or it felt like God wasn't where you felt like you made strides forward and where it felt like there were setbacks. So there's resolutions, there's reflections. Sometimes there's really good opportunity. Maybe you're looking at this year and it is just opportunities galore and, and you're just sitting here going, this is going to be great in 2001-8. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and honestly, for some, maybe it's just obstacles in front of more obstacles in front of more obstacles. And I think there's this, there's this hope that gets woven in because if I'm honest, what I see in New Year's resolutions, and maybe you'll agree with me, maybe not, is that there's this longing in, in the heart of humanity that life would be good. And maybe there's this longing inside of you that, that this life we're living would be good and, 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 and honestly that we would even be willing for it to be great. Like, just think about it for a second. If, if I told you you could sign up today, and your life would be great for the rest of your days. How many of you are signing up on that list? That's right. There's this thing in us, and it's like we would love for our lives to be great. And here's how I know it. Have you ever met somebody whose New Year's resolution was to have the most horrible year of their life? Have you ever, have you ever seen that New York Times bestseller, My Most Horif Horrific Life Now? You know, the terrible life that you can live? I, I've never seen it. Because deep within your heart, I believe, and within mine is a longing for 
the glorious life, the great life, the wonderful life, the wondrous, glorious, best ever life. And that's what we're going to be looking at, is what does it actually look like to live a life of greatness? What does it look like to experience the greatness of God and God's kingdom and that maybe this, this reality of heaven that seems so wonderful moves ever closer to our hearts and our minds and our relationships? And it's interesting, we're going to take some time to look at the words of Jesus today, and we're going to see that it just takes two. Greatness only requires two things if we look at Jesus. And, and not to try to, like, trick you or, like, kind of bait and switch. It, with those two things come our entire life. But there's this invitation to the greatest way to live. And, you know, what I love is if we just look at culture which I like to do sometimes. I, we all live in culture. We're all living in this culture here. And if we just look at culture, I think this is something that just falls pretty much in line with the human heart, that there's a desire in our culture to be identified and recognized as the greatest. Would you agree? I mean, just think about like the TV shows that are out and, you know, America's Got Talent and American Idol and, you know, The Voice and fame and fortune and how many, you know, Insta followers do you have and what's your following on social media and, you know, what's your net worth and what's, it's like, there's this push and this movement to be great and to be great and to be great. You know, I just think about some conversations that I've been a part of. I'm, I love sports. I don't get to watch them a whole lot. Um, but there's this conversation in sports about who's the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Get it? Greatest of all time, the GOAT. Anybody ever been a part of a conversation like that? Is it just me? I, I'm, I'm like, oh, crickets. Uh, is it Michael Jordan or is it LeBron James? Or is it Kobe Bryant? Or is it Magic Johnson? Or is it Kareem? Like, who is the greatest of all time? The GOAT, right? There's this interesting conversation in our culture. They're already thinking about it. They're already looking for it. Well, if we keep on going, what we begin to see is, is if I say this, like, think of the person who said this, I am the greatest... Muhammad Ali. See, y'all are smart. You're good. We didn't even plan that, and it worked. I am the greatest. I said that even before I knew I was. But, but see, this is the other interesting thing that's close to the human heart, is that the human heart has an incredible capacity to push ourself to the front of the line, to make it about me. I'm the greatest. Put all your attention on me. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've won. Look at what I've gained. Look at all the power and might and majesty in me. I am the greatest. Oh, and you can just feel it. It's just kind of like, ooh. But this is what our culture is pushing. And I don't think that it's disconnected from the strife and the agony and the weight of oppression because we've misplaced what a great life looks like. We've misplaced our worth and our value. You know, it's fame and it's fortune. Look at this one. How many of you would like to drive this around? That's pretty. Maybe one of the greatest luxury car makers in the world, Porsche. How many of you would like to live here? You know, a little bungalow, <laughs> two bedroom, three bath. Three bedroom, two bath, I'm not sure. 
50,000 windows. And if I'm just honest, like, I'd be cool if that was my house. Have some parties, have some people over. Play a really good game of hide and seek. (laughs) (laughs) But if I'm honest, like, that can get knocked down. The Porsche can get wrecked. Look at this picture of greatness. Yeah. See, now we're starting to move closer because there's something about this that I can't generate. I'm not capable of making this. This pushes me to the reality of God and creator and maker and majesty and wonder. And now we're starting to move to greatness. Now we're starting to engage our life and our wonder and our creativity. If there's a God who can do this, what could he do in me? What beauty would he make my life to look like? And that's what these next weeks are going to be about. The greatness of God has been put in you as an image bearer of the Lord Most High. You were made in the image of God. And his love has been poured out on you lavishly, and he wants to put greatness in you. I did what I do with a lot of my prep. I went and looked at the, de- the definition of greatness. It's a noun, in case for those of you English, you know, fiends in the room. And it's like a person, place, or thing that's great. <laughs> I love those. Like when you use the word to define the word, like greatness is being great. But doesn't that speak to the image of God placed in you? that in the maker, creator of you, the one who breathes life into you, who knew you before you were formed, who's calling you on a journey that moves you closer to the reality of God, the beauty of God, the wonder of God, heaven coming to earth, that is greatness, and he wants to do that in you. Wants to do that in you. And so as we look at greatness, think about, just dream with me a little bit about the, the life that would be great. What would it be for greatness to be in your mind and in your heart and in your relationships and your emotional being? What if you were emotionally great and greatness filled your whole life? Work, friendships, leisure, everywhere you go, it would be greatness because the life of God is just pulsing through you. Greatness defined by our good friend Merriam-Webster is this, remarkable in magnitude, degree or effectiveness. This is the first fill in the blank on your listening sheet to kind of set the stage for the next few weeks that we begin to orient ourselves. Just think about the magnitude of greatness. You could feel it when I showed you that picture of that, that just mountain lake, which I think is in and around Canada. It's superior in character or quality. There's something that moves it beyond in the nature, the quality, the character of who it is, what it is, and its chief or preeminent over others. See, we like to think that things are great, but so often things that esteem and and choose to name themselves as great are over. They have a shelf life. They're gone. So we need to begin to anchor our greatness to things that are eternal and everlasting. This is when our life here begins to be formed in a way that we pray, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as in heaven or in me 
here and now, that the greatness of God would come and transform our lives. We're going to take some time today to look at Matthew 22. And so if you have a Bible with you, uh, feel free to turn there. Version Bible app. I'm a big fan of that one. We use it regularly, and it'll be on the screen behind me in case you don't have a Bible, which is absolutely okay. But in this exchange, we're going to look at Jesus, and we're going to kind of set the stage for, for not only today, but the, actually the next two messages that we're going to preach in this series. And this, this account is also covered in Mark's gospel in chapter 12. And as we, as we look at this, I just want to tell you, Jesus, this kind of lands in the middle of Jesus doing some teaching. And if you go back maybe this week, look back earlier in Matthew 22, and notice that Jesus is kind of getting confronted by different questions, and he's teaching to groups. And here's what I loved about it as I was looking. They regularly just say that they were amazed. The crowd was amazed at his answer. The crowd was kind of like astonished at his answer. The crowd got pretty quiet and stopped asking questions because they were face to face with greatness. They were experiencing a greatness beyond anything they had known and would ever know again. And so in Matthew 22, starting in verse uh, 28, it says this, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. I'm sorry, that's Mark. That's not the right one. Printed both of them. That's Mark 12, 28. So you can read that one too. It's good. Wrong page of notes. There we go. Matthew 22, 34. That's where we're, we're going to be. It's up here on the screen behind me. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. It just takes two. The ten are anchored in two. Ten Commandments out of Exodus 20 in the Old Testament are anchored in these two. Everything hinges on these two. It just takes two. Greatness takes two. Greatness just takes two. As I was thinking about these two, we're going to expand on them over the next couple of weeks, but just to kind of give us a little taste. The first is this, love God with all. If you want to live a great life, connect the living God to every part of your life and love God with all that you have, all that you are, all that you think, all that you give, all that you worry, all that's fearful, all that's uncertain. Love God with all of it. Love God in your thought life. Love God with your emotions. Love God with your relationships. Love God with everything. Love God with all. And you know, you're going, well, like with, like, with all? Yeah, with all. With every choice, with every decision, with every moment, the invitation is for us to love God with all. Why? 
Why would that be the most important thing we could do? I don't know if you could feel it or connect with it, but as we were worshiping, as we were worshiping, we, com- we communicated why. Because when we experience the love of God, it begins to give us a new identity in every aspect of our life. And so it's love in, love out. Love in, I realize I'm loved by God. It gives me a whole new way to relate to myself and to life, and I just begin to return it. I go, wow, that was really cool, God. You love me. You love me. All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, the whole of your life. And I started thinking about like New Year's resolutions. I, I have one. I'm actually practicing it right now. Um, it's not to drink Starbucks every day. <laughs> but I, I drink coffee. Anybody coffee drinkers? Okay. Anybody coffee with cream and sugar? They're my people, okay. I always drink with cream and sugar. During the month of January, no sugar. Why? No reason. (laughs) Trying to maybe practice some self-control. But that's what my resolutions typically are, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the question is, how do I begin to take that and point that back to God's love for me and my love for God? How do I begin to take drinking coffee and being mindful that maybe I'm not putting sugar in it, and begin to go, what if this is a place I love God? What if I begin to look at my primary relationships, my home life, my, if you happen to be married, your marriage, if you're in a committed relationship, that relationship, if you're a friend to any other human being? <laughs> what about in what you think? Do you walk around just thinking life's horrible and it's all going to just go down the you know, tube chute and it's just bad? Or do you begin to change the way you think and let your thoughts be a place you can love God? See, what we're beginning to see is that Jesus is inviting the whole of our life back to him. The whole of our life back to him. That we would love God with all. And here's, here's maybe the thought, is, and I'm going to just kind of leave it right here. Greatness moves us from a self-focus to a God-focus. If we are actually going to experience a life that is great, we have to get off of ourselves and onto God. We have to move from it being all about me because honestly, I'm not that great. Hate to break it to you. You you already knew that, okay? Greatness is not found in me. I'm not that sufficient. I'm not that powerful. I'm not that majestic or wonderful. So I have to get the focus off of me and I've got to get it onto the one who is great, the one who spoke and it came to be. The one who put just galaxies and mountain lakes and sandy beaches and stuff that I've never even seen with my eyes that's there. I have to go from me to God. And so I just am curious for you in this year, how might you direct some of your self-focus and create space for God-focus? And we're going to talk more about that next week. The second is like it, love your neighbor as self. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here's a kicker. This is kind of like the golden rule, right? Like treat others the way you want to be. Treat others the way you want to be treated, right? This is kind of like, has, it makes sense. Why does it make sense? Because there's a real point of truth in the invitation from God to say, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So then who becomes the standard for how they get loved? 
See, this is why the order matters. If I love God with all that I am and I realize God loves me, then I'm loving myself the way God loves me. And if I love myself the way God loves me, and I didn't turn the whole of my life to love God, then guess what you get? You get greatness. Because I'm now loving you the way God loves you because I'm loving you the way God loves me. I'm loving my neighbor as myself. And what did God do for you? He poured out his love for you. He sacrificed for you. And so now the way I treat my neighbors is I just go, man, you're worth it all. You and your life, you are worth everything. You're worth sacrifice. You're worth gifts. You're worth love. You're worth admiration. You're worth words of encouragement and blessing because your life matters because you are made in the image of God because I'm made in the image of God because God loves me and I love you the way I love myself and I love myself the way God loves me. Are you following with me this morning? This is great and it just takes two. Now think about how different the world would be if we put these two into practice. Think about how we would view ourselves when we wake up in the morning. Ah, it's a great day. We might sing a country song. It's a great day to be alive because God loves me and I was made in his image. No, that's not how it goes, but that's how we should sing it. We begin to see that I can love my neighbor as myself because I'm being loved by the creator God. Love your neighbor as yourself. So here's not a fun question. How are you doing loving yourself? How do you love yourself in your thought life? Are you kind or are you harsh? How do you love yourself in your emotional life? How do you love your soul, like your being? Do you remind yourself that you were made in the image of God and that you are loved by God and that your life has worth and value, or do you really battle that? Some days it's just hard. Do you feel like you're not enough and it's not good enough? Or are you beginning to speak more truth into how you love yourself? Because this is really cool. The more I love myself, here's what I realize. I realize that, like, I'm not perfect. And, and then it gives me a lot of grace for other people. And now I become a person of grace and love to everybody. And I begin to look more like Jesus because he would go to the cross for a criminal like me, a liar like me, a worrier like me, a sinner like me. Like it, it begins to just change the whole narrative of greatness. And I'll just tell you, our, our time, this time, we need it more than ever. I need it more than ever. Our community needs it more than ever, our cities need it more than ever, that we would love neighbor as self. And if you keep reading and you look at Jesus, he just calls us, he calls me. He calls me like right to the carpet and it's like, well, who's my neighbor? Everyone. There you go. That we would love God with all and we would love all. We would love our neighbor as ourself. Greatness moves from self-focus to other focus. Greatness in the kingdom of God moves me from a self-focus to seeing others and being available to love others and consider others and meet others' needs and consider relationship and sacrifice and kindness. 
the reality of God, the one who spoke it into being. And I don't know how. I wasn't there. But I believe God was there. I believe Father, Son, and Spirit in just beautiful relationship with one another were there. And in the greatness and glory of who they are, it came to be. The reality of God and God's kingdom, the place and space where we engage life as it was intended to be, that his authority is imminent and preeminent and above all, and it is the thing. His rule and his reign and his power and his majesty are put in the first spot. Give us our reference for greatness. They give us our reference for greatness. The greatness of God meets us in relationship with him, and the greatness of God is poured out in the way we love ourselves and the way we love one another. It just takes two.